When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Own the Microphone. Join me, Bridget McGowan, an award-winning international professional speaker and owner of the independent publishing company, BMAC Talks Press. Hello and welcome to another episode of Own the Microphone. I am Bridget McGowan and today I have with me Chris Widener. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Chris, you are one of those lucky people. And maybe the word lucky isn't right, but I'm going to roll with it. You are one of those lucky people who has always been confident. Now, for our listeners, some of them, that is not always the case. I want you to speak to our listeners and give them an idea of what they can do to maybe work on their confidence, maybe build their confidence chops just on a daily basis. Yeah. So that, yeah, when it's time to speak, they're ready. Yeah, you're, you're right. I, speaking is a gift of mine. I've always done it from the time I was a kid. You know, my mom gave me a Mr. Microphone when I was in like the fifth grade or something like that. If you remember those, you used to be able to tie them into the, the radio and then you could flip it on and you would talk through your radio speakers. And my mother would come home from work and I'd say, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, here she is home from work, Charlotte Widener. And she would roll her eyes because I was just way too loud. But uh, you probably remember in high school, as soon as the bell rang in homeroom, the kid came on. He said, okay, today, please stand and say this Pledge of Allegiance and lunches, fish sticks and tater tots. And that was me. And then in college, uh, I did uh, in-house college basketball announcing for the basketball team and, and, you know, some of those things. So it's never been a problem for me in speaking confidence, but confidence has been a problem for me in other areas of my life. And I'll tell you why. The word confidence, my mom taught me to love words. My mom could do the Sunday morning New York Times crossword puzzle in 11 minutes. I saw her do it once in pen. Uh, Sunday morning in pen, 11 minutes. And she she taught me to look at the breakdown of root words and prefixes, and it brings out this rich meaning. So the really interesting things about the thing about the word confidence is con is a prefix, which means with. And uh, the reason I know that is because my mom sold real estate. And so she was gone a lot of nights and I ate a lot of chili con carne, uh, which is chili with meat, right? So con means with. Fide is the Latin term for faith. So confidence literally means with faith. Self-confidence means with faith in yourself. And so what I always teach people in terms of how to have more faith in yourself is to improve your skill set. Because... I mean, honestly, somebody could call me up right now and say, across the street is a speech with 200,000 people, and we need you to jump over there right now and do 15 minutes. And I would just throw on my, my suit, and I'd be right over there. It wouldn't panic me at all. But if they said there's 15 people across the street, they want you to come over and sing the national anthem, I would be terrified because I'm not a good singer. So I think confidence uh, boils down to we have certain things that we, we just have faith in ourselves. Some, some people might be auto mechanics, right? And I could say, oh, here's this car. I can't get it started. He says, I'll take care of you. 
because he has faith in himself about that. And it doesn't matter what the skill set is. So when, when it comes to speaking, I think the biggest thing that people could do to gain confidence is to increase their skill set, increase their knowledge, and increase their skill set. And I'll give you an example. Uh, back in the 90s, I was living in Seattle, and I'll date it a little bit because I was given a speech. I still had the microphone in my hand. I was done. The whole event was over. For some reason, I still had the handheld microphone in my hand. Guy comes up and he says, I don't know how you can talk for 30 minutes without a note. And I said, oh, you could you could talk for 30 minutes without a note. He said, oh, I could never talk for 30 minutes without a note. I said, sure you can. And he says, how could I talk for 30 minutes without a note? And I said, well, what do you do for a living? He said, I'm an engineer. And I said, where do you work? And he said, Boeing. And I said, uh, what are you working on right now? And this is what's going to date it. He said, I'm working on the wing design for the 777. So, you know, the 777 has been out for a while. So this was back in the 90s. I said, if I handed you this microphone right now and said, give me 30 minutes on wing design, airlift, all those same kind of things, could you do it? He goes, oh, yeah, sure. And I said, see, you could do 30 minutes on uh, on, on something, right? Because the knowledge base is there. So the number one thing to do to, to gain, gain confidence, overcome fear is to have all that knowledge, as much knowledge. If you're a salesperson, know every single thing about your, your product so that when somebody says, Hey, can you tell us a little bit about your product? And you go, well, I don't really know much about it. It doesn't make you come across very well. The other thing that I would say, and this is why nobody should be terrified to give a speech at work. Um, it is uh, nobody expects you to be good. So people say to me all the time, they're like, you're a professional speaker and I'm the senior vice president of sales and I have to give this speech and I'm terrified. And I tell them, here's the first thing you need to know. Nobody expects you to be good. Now, if they bring me $30,000 to show up for a one hour speech, they expect me to be good. After they hear my, my bio, my entrance, and, and you know the music coming on, and they hear how much they paid me to show up, they're like, this guy better be good. Nobody expects the VP of, of accounting to be any good. But here's the other thing. You probably remember, some of you might remember the, um, the little skit that Jerry Seinfeld did or the little portion of his stand-up. There had been a study, and it was a study of what people are most afraid of. And most people are, um, when they give the list of one, two, three, four, and five, number one was public speaking. Number two was death. So Jerry Seinfeld took that in his observant kind of way, and he did a little joke, and he said, that means the next time you're at a funeral, most people would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. So here's what you need to remember when you've been asked to speak at your, one of your cor corporate events or your company events is realize nobody's going to be up there going, I can't believe the senior vice president of accounting can't give a speech. They're like, I'm glad it's him and not me because they're terrified of getting up there. They're just glad it's you up there. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be as good as you possibly can, and there are some ways that you can improve your confidence by getting better, understanding all your knowledge, understanding some tips and tricks that, that, that will help you become a better speaker and, and manage the stage well and, and all of those kinds of things, and we can talk about some of those if you like, but the first thing I always try to tell people in, in the business world is just don't be too afraid of it, because number one, you can improve, and number two, nobody's going to be terribly judgmental of you because they're just glad it's you and not them. I love the point that you made, Chris, about being an expert in 
your field in your industry. Don't stress about being an expert professional speaker. There's some people where that's just their jam. That's their thing to worry about pacing and tone and body language. And and we're not saying you should ignore all of those things, but your wheelhouse is accounting. Your wheelhouse is engineering. Your wheelhouse is fill in the blank. Yeah. That's where you shine is yeah. in all of that knowledge you have there. And then come to us. To yeah, and, and then also to realize, I think also to realize that um, uh, there's different styles. Oh, so yeah. One of the podcast yeah. questions I get asked a lot is, what was it like to work with both Zig Ziglar and Jim Rohn? What did you learn from working with those two guys? And I have an answer that surprises most people. And what I learned from having a television show with Zig Ziglar and spending seven years of Jim Rohn's life working with him, traveling with him, doing seminars with him, was to be myself. And people say, how do you get that from working with Zig and Jim? And I'm like, look at them. They were two of the greatest legends in the speaking industry of all time. They both hit the pinnacle of it. They were both adored by millions of people. And you could not put two further apart speakers than those two guys. They were friends. They were colleagues. They were contemporaries. And Zig was the kind of guy who would prance the stage and he'd sprint across the stage. Then he'd kneel on the stage and he'd talk really fast and really loud. And then he'd get down and he'd whisper. And then you had Jim Rohn, who spent 98% of his time standing behind a lectern. And we all knew Jim was about to get crazy when he made his power move, which was to take his reading glasses off. And we're like, "Uh uh-oh, Jim took his reading glasses off, right? So there's lots of different styles. And so I thought, look, I could be Zig or I could be Jim, but I want to be the best me because those two being the best them is what took them to the pinnacle of being able to speak. So if you're more of a quiet intellectual type, don't feel like you got to come on to your corporate event and act like Tony Robbins and, you know, pound your chest and ask people to walk across coal. You don't have to be, you got to be yourself and being yourself, that authentic, transparent, um, um, image of you is going to be something that people are going to really appreciate. Someone just yesterday, Chris, was saying something along the lines of, I saw you present at XYZ event. I scheduled this call with you because I want to know how to be a speaker like you. And I stopped her and I said, I don't know. (laughs) You don't want to be like me. This is what you want to do. Mm -hmm. I want you to ask yourself, what would you want to see if you were in the audience? I need you to say what kind of experience would I want to have if the shoe was on the other foot and then you deliver that experience based on your personal challenges, your personal resume, your personal knowledge, but don't aim to be like me because uh, I'm I'm already taken. I'm already. (laughs) Great advice. Great advice. Yeah. Everybody. Chris Widener has been named one of the top 50 speakers in the world, one of the top 100 leadership speakers by Inc. Magazine, one of the top 10 sales speakers by Success Magazine, and is in the Motivational Speakers Hall of Fame. Chris is a New York Times and Wall Street... Wall Street Journal bestselling uh, author and has written 23 books in 14 languages. Chris was personally mentored by Zig Ziglar and Jim Rohn. As you think about your experiences on the microphone, Chris, what is one story or one, I don't know, moment that just has never left you? Whether it was something you said 
something that happened, something that an audience member said? What is that thing, that memory you just cannot get away from in your speaking career? You know, I think it's not so much what happened on stage, but it's it's what happens afterwards when when people come up to you and they give you this heartfelt feedback like that really made a difference in my life. That really made me think. That really made me, you know, whatever. And and I think that to me it's fun giving speeches. I've given lots of speeches, 15,000 people and above. I think the biggest I ever did was 25,000 people and I've done them all over the world, you know, Russia, China, Singapore, Australia, Germany, Spain, you know, all over the world, all over the US, 46 of the of the 50 United States. And they're all a lot of fun, but they're also just a lot of fun. And, and, and I'm a, I'm a meaning guy, you know, I, I want to, my last book prior to the one that just came out was called lasting impact. That's really what I want. I want lasting impact. I mean, being a professional speaker, the money's great. Usually get to go to fancy resorts and, you know, where people hold their conventions and things like that. And they're fun, but they wouldn't be, they wouldn't be meaningful to me unless they left an impact. So for me, um, it's probably less the standing on the stages as much as it is knowing that what I said helped somebody's life or business. I recently wrote a LinkedIn newsletter article that spoke to that very point. Mm. I talk about speaking with power, but I use power as an acronym. When you speak, make sure it's positive, open-minded, worthwhile, effective, and relevant. And you Mm. can tell your message is effective And it's relevant when you have people lined up after your presentation wanting to engage with you. So you're spot on about it's about it's what happens afterwards. If you have people tripping over themselves trying to get to the exit, unless they run into the bookstore to run to the bookstore, that's okay to run. (laughs) That's okay, right? As long as you don't have scissors in your hand, you can run to the bookstore. You can run to the bookstore and get and get the speaker's book. But yeah, if they are wanting more from you and just wanting to listen and ask questions, you've done your job. Yeah. Chris, what's something that is just a part of your presentation preparation? What's something that is a must do, a must have, no matter what you present, where you present, you've just it's just part of your plan or part of your routine? Well, so I'm a keynoter, which means I tend to give the same speech over and over and over again. So for the last 12 years, I've given one speech a thousand times. Um, Now, that being said, um, what I try to do is when when I'm speaking with whoever's going to hire me, um, I tell them, look, you know, I'd love to get some information about your company. I'd love to know more about your company. I'd love to spend some time with, you know, some executives, you know, hearing what they think is the, the message. Because really, ultimately, I'm a servant. A speaker is a servant. There's a lot of my contemporaries who think that this speech is about them. It is not about them. They're, they're the arrogance ones that go, you know, uh, I need the, the, my ham and cheese sandwiches at 72 degrees cut in star shapes. I need the brown M&Ms removed. I need Perrier water, not Pellegrino. I need Perrier, you know, I need Perrier. And, and they think it's about them. Like, you are so lucky that I'm here today. To me, I say to the executives who hire me, what is the message you want those folks to walk out and how can I reinforce that for you through what I do. 
and I listen to them. The other offer that I make to, to companies is if you will send me a cross-section of people, so maybe it's the CEO, it's a vice president, it's a um, uh, somebody in uh, middle management and somebody in the mail room, if they're all going to be at that meeting, will you connect me with each one of them? Send me an email. I'll get on the phone for 10 or 15 minutes with each of them. And here's what I do. I ask them all the same questions and the vast majority of the questions will be different from different people at different levels, but there will always be one or two that they all mention. And I think that's the thing that I need to focus in on. So if they all mention, you know, uh, leadership, for example, I will make sure I weave that in more because what happens is, is, is for me, it, it, it gives me a positive response from all those different levels. They all go, oh, wow, he talked about leadership. That is exactly what we needed to hear. Then they go off and they go, that was amazing. This was incredible. Uh, and then the meeting planner, who is really your client, the meeting planner is your client. Uh, because, and I tell people this all the time. Uh, I tell them, uh, I'm going to make you look great. I just, I, maybe you've never even heard of me until the, somebody booked me or whatever you booked me. And I know you're taking a flyer by having me come in. Cause I'll tell you, meeting planners can be terrified because their reputation is on the line when they put a speaker out there and they just pray to God that this guy's good or this gal's good so that they don't look like the one who brought in the really terrible or offensive speaker. So I always tell the, the meeting planner, I'm going to make you look really good. And uh, I try to end on time. In fact, one of the greatest, one of the greatest introductions I ever got, I was hired about four years ago to do a big AT&T event, but it was, it was, um, it was back-to-back events. So I closed one event and then they had the, a whole other group come in the next day and I opened that event. And so they had me in for a couple of days and they had a professional MC there. And I, I have a little thing. I used to do live television in Dallas. And when the light goes off, you're done. So I got really good at ending on zero. So big countdown clock. There's 1,200 people in the room. First day, I end on zero. And then the very next day, the guy gets up and he's giving the announcement and he does my standard thing. And he says, but I got to tell you, I've done a 1,000 events as an MC. And the thing that really impressed me yesterday, and this is how I know this guy is a real professional, his last word was when that clock said zero. And I'll tell you, the meeting planner appreciates it. The next speaker appreciates it. The CEO appreciates it. So, you know, there's some things that you can learn to do, but ultimately, um, I view the client as it's their interests that matter, not my interests. So I try to serve them. You know, Zig Ziglar always said, you can have anything you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want out of life. Well, what does a meeting planner want? They want a great speaker who makes them look good. And, and that's what I try to give them. Hands down without a doubt. I, 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 everything, you know what, what I need to say at this point is copy paste what he said. <laughs> Because that's exactly what it boils down to. And the part about doing the homework beforehand and simply asking, what do you want me to accomplish in this presentation? At the end of 60 minutes, at the end of 90 minutes, what do you want the audience to know or to be able to do? And then do not be afraid to ask about interviewing people who will be in the audience. Because this is what makes the difference between a presentation that comes off the shelf 
or one that is tailored. Yep. And when you are able to tailor your presentation, although you've delivered your keynote thousands of times, possibly, it's still personal, unique, and tailored because you did the homework beforehand. And that, the event contact, that is what they are holding their breath in the back of the room thinking, please, please, please do a good job. Please, please, please. Well, I'll give you an example. At that at that AT&T event, I knew that they had all won that event. It was call centers. It was a bunch of their call center people, and they had all won it. So the speech that I gave was, I think, called Secrets of Successful People or something like that. And uh, my very first, you know, one of the very first things I said, and you can actually go see this on my website, chriswidener.com, if you want to see that speech, is I said, one thing I know about you is you are all winners because you won to even be here. So it told them, I know how you're here. I know how you got here. I know that you've achieved something in order to be here. And then I wove in a little bit later in my speech when I talk about being optimistic and, and when people say bad things about you. And I said, look, you guys are in a call center. And it was AT&T, right? I said, and I started playing along. I'm like, I hold my hand up like I'm taking a phone call. I'm like, hello, this is AT&T. How can I help you? Nobody ever says, hey, AT&T, just want to let you know things are really great here today. And they're like, okay, uh, what about your phone? No, 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 my phone's working great. In fact, I'm calling on it. It's fantastic. Okay, so did you call about the internet? No, internet's on. I see the TV right there. It's all all really good. What about your satellite? No, satellite's working fantastic. Just wanted to let you know that uh, everything at AT AT&T is really going great. Thank you for taking my call. Bam. No no customers. And they're, of course, laughing hysterically because the only time they pick up every – they're like cops. Nobody calls 911 and says, just want to let you know everything's okay here on Jones Street. They call because something's going wrong. So these call center folks, the only time they answer the phone is, oh, my phone doesn't work and uh, my AT&T internet's out. You know, it's the only time. So how do you stay positive in that? So through the knowledge of what they do, I can utilize, I can take my point, which is stay positive no matter what happens, no matter what's said, and I can put it into their context, which makes that connection a little bit better. Yes, 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 yes. Take what it is you believe in, what it is you're teaching, what it is that you espouse, and marry it with their world. That is how, because a lot of listeners sometimes have to deliver the same content over and over again for whatever reason, but we're going to assume it's a different audience that they're in front of. We're going to assume they're not delivering the same training to the same people all the time. You know, when uh, when I teach insurance companies, my dad died when I was four. 1970. So the last year he was fully alive was 1969. He made $90,000 in 1969. He was the fifth partner at the time they had 150 architects. Now they're probably the 15th largest architecture firm in the world with maybe 5,000 architects all around the world. And at the age of 41, he got cancer and he died within six months. So remember, he made $90,000. He only had $30,000 with a life insurance, which barely put him into the ground and paid off some, you know, some debts. We had to sell that house because my mom couldn't afford the $400 a month mortgage payment. That house recently sold for $3.2 million. And when I talk to insurance companies, I tell that story and I tell them, you guys are doing God's work. Because if my dad would have had a one hour meeting with an insurance agent, then my whole life would have been completely different. I had a coaching client once, young guy. He was probably 32 when I got him. He was making $435,000 a year. 
And at the very end of our first phone call, I said, you know, how many, how many kids you have three kids, my wife and I had three kids. And I said, okay, here's your first bit of homework. He said, what's that? And I said, um, do not call me again. I asked him, I said, do you have life insurance? He said, yeah, boy, I know I need to get some life insurance. I said, no, I'm serious. You need to get life. Yeah, yeah, no, I know, I know. I said, well, I'll make you a deal. Here's your first bit of homework. Do not call me again until you have at least $3 million worth of life insurance and probably $5 million worth of life insurance. As a 32-year-old guy, you can get it for $200 a month, probably. Just get 20 years of term. And he, and he sort of chuckling. I said, you think I'm joking? Don't call me again until you have life insurance for your family. I'm protecting your wife now. And he's like, he called me back two weeks later for our call. And he said, I got $5 million worth of life insurance, like $262 a, a, a month or something like that. So you always want to take your message and you want to make it apply to whatever it is that, uh, that they're going through or what their work entails or, or any of those kinds of things. Exactly, exactly. In a minute, you'll have the opportunity to ask me a question. All right. Tell me this, Chris, what do you think is one of the biggest mistakes or the biggest misconceptions that speakers have about what it takes to be successful? I know we talked about, you know, they feel like they need to be well-versed in all things presentation skill-ish, and, and they really need to go deep and wide with their expertise in their industry. But, you know, can you think of a, a, a big mistake? I don't know that they just don't realize that they're making that they can avoid. Probably that they think that they need to be more dynamic than they actually mm -hmm. are. You know, you look at a guy like Tony Robbins or, you know, some famous speaker, Zig Ziglar or some of those folks. And you think you think, oh, I got to I got to be really super over the top. And then they, it just becomes sort of a caricature of a, of a motivational speaker. I always just keep going back down to be yourself. You don't especially if you're speaking at your company event, most of the people in the audience are going to know you. And if Margaret barely says a word during work and then she comes out, she goes, who's popped up to be here today? <laughs> and then you're like, what happened? Margaret smoked some crack or what? <laughs> you know, they just want to see Margaret from accounting, give them some good information and end on time. Yeah. You know. And by the way, I want to speak again to that because we talked about it a few minutes ago. And I, I thought there's an interesting thing. You can feel it for 30 minutes. I mean, they give you 30 minutes and for 29 minutes, you just kill it. It's the best. Everything's coming out. The audience is laughing when they're supposed to laugh. They're crying when they're supposed to cry. They're leaning forward in their chair, listening when they're supposed to lean forward in their chair and listen. And if you go 15 minutes after that, they're going to be looking at their watch going, when is this clown going to end? They're going to be very peeved with you. Can you. Ruin it. you can ruin yes. an amazing 29 minutes with yep. the next 11 minutes over your time. Oh, hands down, hands down. I mean, we have this mental clock or in our minds and we know that this is going to go from 10 until 11. So at 1059, we are mentally packing it in. If you go beyond that, you have ticked off your audience. I mean, and people think they're giving value. They think by going above, this is not an instance where you want to go above and beyond. You I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. I was giving, I was the MC of a large event, 10,000 people. And it was going to culminate with one of the most famous people in the world. And like literally, and I don't want to throw the person under the bus, so I'm not going to say the name, but. Um, Give I, us the I'm, initials. Give no, us the initials. No, that, no, because you will know immediately. So anyway, <laughs> so it's late. And this person was supposed to be there at like 4.15 till 5 o'clock. What about 
I'm told he's almost here, but you got to go out and kill another 10 minutes. So the whole event was supposed to be over at five. At 5.30, I go out and I'm like, okay, one last thing before so-and-so gets here. I wanted to, and they literally started booing me, mm-hmm. started booing me. And I'm like, holy cow. So, so I move over in, in, in hindsight, it's really interesting. Subconsciously, I moved over behind the pulpit. I was protecting myself. Subconsciously, I was protecting myself. It was, it was fascinating to watch, to watch what happened on a subconscious level. I moved back behind the, the big giant podium that we had there. And, um, and so, uh, um, I said, look, and they, and by this point, now they're chanting the guy's name. And, and I, and I finally just stopped. I said, look, we all want him to be here. He is here. He's just getting ready. He's going to be out in a little bit. And uh, at that point I saved it. I, I, I realized that we had not yet um, recognized the first responders and the police and the firemen, the military. I said, you know what? While we have a little bit of time, I forgot. And so now I had them all cheering while they were, you know, while they were in the thing. And then I saw on the screen in front of me, he's ready to come on stage. So I said, all right, here he is. Bam. I walk off the stage and there was a bunch of professional speakers there behind the stage. And as I walked off, they were high-fiving me one after the other going, dude, you are a pro. Like how you saved that audience was unbelievable. But the people were really pretty mad until he showed up and then they were up, you know, they were all in hog heaven. But anyway, you got to end on time. You got to be on time. You got to respect other people's time. They, you were getting in the way of what they came to get. And it didn't matter to them that this person's plane was late. They were stuck in traffic. They had a wardrobe malfunction. That didn't matter. All they knew was you, Chris, were standing between them and what they came to hear. And it wasn't even my fault. I mean, it wasn't my fault, right? You know, so, but I took the beating, but I turned it out of a beating and into some applause for our first responders. So that was pretty cool. Masterful, masterful. Now I'm whispering to the listeners right now as if Chris isn't here. Did you notice one, the person was a male. Two, I have a feeling this person may have something to do with I don't know the church or religion or something because he said pulpit and then he quickly changed it to podium so I don't know just some clues there just some clues all right I'm ready for the question Chris all right now I will tell you this I'll throw you off a little bit even more I said pulpit because I used to be a pastor so it it was not a pulpit but uh it was not a pulpit but that's interesting that you caught that but I probably said pulpit because I was a pastor for 14 years in fact I'll tell you what, this is another little interesting uh, alignment. People will say, because I can customize anytime. People want me to customize whatever. I can do it. And people say, they'll call me up, some professional speaker, like, oh, my word, this company wants me to customize my speech, and what am I going to do? I'm like, dude, until you've been a pastor for 14 years, given three speeches every week, I had new speeches every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. And being a pastor actually really taught me a lot about content creation. Because you don't give the same speech every Sunday morning. I mean, it's easy. What I do now is easy compared to what a pastor does who has to come up with 30 to 45 new minutes every single week of his life or her life. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you sharing that with us because you're spot on about that content creation piece. And it goes back to what we were saying earlier. Don't feel like you have to create something new. Take what you already know and what you've already been sharing 
but then make it applicable to this new audience that's in front of you. Do your homework, do your research, yeah. do the interviews, comb that website, check them out on social media. We can just go on down the line. Have them send you a packet of all of their promotional materials. You should get a big packet with uh, you know, all their promotional materials, their product materials, so you can get a feel for what the, the, the style is. Um, you know, anything you can do to sort of enmesh yourself and immerse yourself into their, into their world so that you can connect that for them. You almost, not almost, you are essentially an employee of that company. That's what you want to become. You want to feel like you're already on that team as yep. much as you can, understanding their culture, understanding what drives them and their mission and their light and their vision and so on and so forth. You want to be a name on their roster, essentially, so yep. that when you get up there, you're not speaking Greek to them. Well, I'll give you a couple of examples that I learned, um, interestingly, in speaking, and that is the language that certain companies or organizations use. And I'll give you two examples. Uh, for a while, I did a ton of work with um, credit unions. And when I got my first one, somebody said, listen, I'm going to give you some advice. Never talk to them about their customers. Credit unions do not have customers. They have members. Yeah. Yep. So I, I had to replace the word. I'll tell you another one. I was asked once to speak at a like a, a retreat center for about 100 men and women who run camps for children who've been injured in fires. Now, when I was growing up, we called them burn victims, right? And so for the first hour, and I had the whole day, I was doing a whole day presentation. For the first hour, I referenced burn victims, burn victims, burn victims. And when we're working with burn victims, da, da, da. At the very first break, guy comes up to me very politely, wasn't angry or anything, said, hey, I just want to give you a tip here. Um, we don't call them burn victims. That's old language. We call them burn survivors now. And I said, oh, okay, great. When they brought me back up on, you know, after a 10 minute break, I said, hey, I just want to make sure that I apologize to you. Obviously, as an outsider coming in, you know, I wasn't aware of some of the language that you use. And so my apologies for for using an old term burn victims. And from this point forward, I will use the the term burn survivor. And they all clap for me and we were off we go. And so that's an important point to add to the uh, discovery call or the, yep. the the call that you have, whatever you like to call it, planning call, what have you, as you're working with the event contact, another question to ask is, is there terminology, is there jargon yep. that I need to be aware of, any nuances, words that I need to stay away from, words that I need to emphasize? And it's so funny, I did some, I've did some. i done some work with credit unions, and I distinctly remember getting that same piece of information, Chris, where they told me, this was years ago, but they told me, they said, they do not refer to people as customers or clients. Yeah. They are members. Because I just knew she was like, oh, we don't refer to them as customers. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, probably clients. Yeah, that's... Right. But that I didn't is. say that in my mind. I'm thinking, oh, okay, sure, I could do that. Yeah. Members, I I remember that, so that's interesting. I'll give you, I'll give you another example. I just did yeah. a, a virtual speech for a company called Bamboo HR. Yes. And uh, are you familiar with Bamboo HR? So I did a uh, yeah. I did a, a virtual thing about two months ago or something like that, and I asked the woman who hired me, you know, are there any terms or anything? She says, yeah. Here's what we call each other on the inside, and I said, okay, what is it? She said, we call ourselves Bambooligans. And I said, that is the greatest name ever. So when I when I came out and I did the virtual, I'm like, hello, bambooligans. You are nothing but a bunch of bambooligans. Like, I just loved it. It was fun to say. It's like, I'm from Chattanooga. I always tell people I'm from Chattanooga, the city that's fun to say. Well, bambooligans is a lot of fun to say. So, you know, any little thing that you can get, and, and they appreciated the fact that I took enough to know that that's what they call themselves internally. 
no one likes an outsider. Right. In any sense of the word, in any situation, the more you can sound like an insider, the more you can sound like someone who gets them. Oh my goodness. It's a win-win for everybody. Unless you're a celebrity, you know, Nelson Mandela could have shown up anywhere and people would have just been thrilled that he was there, you know. Hey, Um, everybody, we got another hint. Was it Nelson Mandela? No, it wasn't. I'm not going to stop under the the truck. No, no, it wasn't Nelson Mandela. (laughs) Okay. What's your question for me, Chris? (laughs) No, I, I, you know, I used to do a podcast on speaking. So I'm going to, I'm going to sort of, I'm going to give you two quick questions. Number one, uh, what's your favorite place you've ever spoken? And it could be the city or the event or the audience that made it. And then second follow-up question, what was your first paid speaking engagement? Okay. Favorite speaking event man that's it could a be tough one because mine mine is barcelona okay um, you know that kind of thing maybe it might be the city or it might just be how amazing the crowd was or maybe it was uh, yeah no well you know. the thing what, what makes it hard is because there are so many factors that yeah. can make it fantastic was yeah. my family able to come with me right. was it a great audience did i love the topic did we had this incredible conversation where I went off script. Was it, you know what I mean? Oh, and to boil it down to a favorite. Okay. So I got to figure out, we'll go with, we'll go with speaking in Washington, DC back in 2019 at um, the association for talent development. It was May. Yeah. May of 2019. What made it so great was a number of those things that I just rattled off. One, my family was able to come with me. Our son was, he had just turned five. So this is kind of that last hoorah of getting in all kinds of trips that didn't, without having to worry about getting interrupted by a school, this, you know, crazy inconvenient thing called school. Uh, And we were talking about that too. We were like, oh my goodness, this is probably one of the last trips we'll be able to take without worrying about taking him out of school. So my family was able to come with me. That was our son's first trip to the nation's capital. The conference was fantastic. The audience was incredible, but I went off script and I seldom go off script, but it was something that came up in the audience. Someone said something and it led me to tell a story that I had not planned on telling huh. it just and people were leaning forward in their chairs their mouths wow. are open they're in disbelief and that was the first conference where I had my first book out and it ends up uh-huh. selling out people rush out of the room for a good nice. reason but they rush wow. back to tell me it's not in the bookstore oh that book is in there what are you talking about Bridget is sold out oh. didn't expect that right all of this that may be one of my favorite. Wow. One of my favorite presentations. And what was your first paid speaking engagement? Can you remember that you can remember? Oh, the first one I can remember. I don't think this is the first one, but this is this is the first one I can remember. Right. I think was LifeLock. Everybody, you're familiar with LifeLock, the company yeah. with the CEO who had that commercial with his social security number yeah. plastered on the, <laughs> the side of the moving truck, the moving van. That was probably my first paid. And let me tell you, the name of the organizer who reached out to me, his name is Danny. And I was thinking about him when you were talking about our number one job is to serve. His feedback to me read something to the effect of, Bridget made us look good. 
Mm, that's it. it was a long time ago and and i've never forgotten that so when you yeah. were talking about as a speaker it's not about you it's about that audience it's about the event on a whole yeah. it's about making that company proud yeah. that they put you on their stage because they're taking a huge risk yeah. and so that that's that's the first paid one i can remember, you remember what you got paid i gotta ask you what oh you a thousand dollars Wow, you started out bigger than I did. My first was five hundred dollars. I, you know, I had a very troubled upbringing. Uh, Twenty-eight homes, eleven different schools. Started drugs in the sixth grade. Made my money betting the horses at the track. Like it was a bad upbringing, and um, uh, so I, I went into youth work. And I was, uh, I, I went a couple of years to this youth retreat. I was a youth minister in Northern New Jersey. And I went to this youth retreat. And on the third year, they said, hey, would you be willing to, would you be willing to speak at this event? And I said, yeah, sure. And they said, okay, we do these breakouts. So my first speech ever was a breakout. And, uh, and so there was like 400 kids there and they got to choose from five different breakouts. I said, I'll do a breakout on self-esteem. They wanted me to do on self-esteem. I said, if I and choose the title of my speech rather than, hey, come come here, Chris, talk about self-esteem. So they said, okay, what do you want to title your speech? And I said, I want it to be called how to um how to how to like yourself or no, how to feel good about yourself, even if you have a giant sit in the middle of your forehead. That was the name of my speech. How to feel good about yourself, even if you have a giant zit in the middle of your forehead. Always know and, your audience. <laughs> and so and so here's a bunch of junior hires. Yep. <laughs> And here's the funniest thing. I rarely ever, ever get pimples. Heart, I mean, maybe one or two a year. No. I show is. up at this corporate or at this, uh, this retreat and, and I have a third eyeball in the middle of my forehead. I mean, I could have put eyeliner and mascara on this thing. It was gigantic. And so they had us all come out on stage and I'm like, hey, this is what my is going to be in this room right here. Well, so the funny thing is there were 400 kids there, 390 of them stayed in the room and listened to how to feel good about yourself, even if you have a giant sit in the middle of your forehead. And I got paid $500 for that. So <laughs> I don't even know where to go. That is hilarious the universe just making it all come together yeah well let's show let's show these kids how you can feel good about yourself with a giant zit in the middle of your forehead and i mean seriously i'm sure they said you know what this man is going to walk the walk and talk the talk i mean <laughs> i'm under 500 bucks i got out of that deal oh listen everybody go over to four seasons it's spelled exactly how it sounds, for F-O-U-R, seasonsbook.com. And you will get 20 plus hours of training for free if you purchase Chris's new book, his newest yeah. book. So head on over to fourseasonsbook.com. Make sure you get those 20 hours of, 20 plus hours of free training. Don't want to miss that. Also, Visit chriswidener.com, learn all about Chris, book him for your next event. As you can tell, you will not be disappointed. All right, Chris, what else do listeners need to know in order to make sure they own the microphone? I think, um, you know, we've talked a lot about it. So probably just to synopsize, um, be yourself, be authentic, be transparent. You know, some of the, some of the real big speakers in the 20th century, they memorized it was more like a performance. It was more like a monologue or a one-man show. 
Um, I think with the advent of, of the internet and everybody just holding up and doing quick little selfie videos into the, nobody expects everything to be super polished anymore. I think what they really value is transparency. Um, you know, I love Toastmasters and Toastmasters is great. Um, but like one of the things that they say is, you know, they count your ums and your, those kinds of things. And I think there's lots of great stuff about Toastmasters. I tell people to join it all the time, but the one thing that I'm not really uh, in, a, in agreement with them is, is I don't think most people care about whether you use the word um or not. Now, if it's just a bunch of strings of ums and you never really give them good stuff, but, you know, I, I had the privilege of working with John Maxwell for a while. I, I wrote for John early on in the early 2000s, and he had this line where he used to say, um, I'm not a very good speaker. I'm just a great communicator. And there's a big difference. You can still get, you know, uh, you can still get a lot of good stuff across, even if you aren't the most perfectly skilled speaker. So be yourself, be transparent, know your stuff. Uh, I mean, as much as you possibly can know your stuff. That's the number one thing. Know your stuff. So you will always have something to pull from if you need an extra five minutes or 10 minutes or or whatever. Perfect. Chris Widener, thank you so much for being on the show. This was a lot of fun. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. For sure. And thank you to the listeners for tuning in. I am Bridget McGowan. Until next time, make sure you always own the microphone.